righteousness, peace, and joy. So we should expect as God comes that peace will be something that um, comes on a person's life. Trust it's there in yours too. Hey, this is number five I've been doing in a series that has taken a while. We've just come at it from time to time. But if, especially if you're new here, just to kind of key you in, we've been, been looking at heaven through the lens of people who have had a near-death experience. They've seen what is beyond. And uh, millions of people have been resuscitated across the planet now. Millions and millions and millions of people. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people whose, whose stories have been um, researched by both secular and Christian researchers. And the amazing thing is they, they all tell a similar story. And, and they illustrate what the Bible actually says. So this morning, I want to go on and explore what heaven itself is like. And, and that is that the Bible paints the picture that it is the most amazing place that we could possibly imagine. It's the most beautiful place that we could possibly imagine. So I want to pick up on that scripture we read, this, Mark read at the beginning of church this morning. Then I saw a new heaven. We're in Revelation 21, starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. We'll just pass that by. And I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, God's home will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, that's the Father, said, Look, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy, and it is true. Now, it's fascinating that, that this picture of heaven starts with the fact that even heaven is going to be remade. Heaven and earth, but even heaven is going to be remade. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. A new Jerusalem is what this passage goes on to talk about. The city of God, the throne room of God, the city in heaven that God has set up, his, the Father has set up his throne, is going to descend to the earth. And the heavens and earth being remade, you might think, why would God remake? remake? I can see why he might remake the earth, but why the heaven as well? And I believe it's to cleanse every single part of everything where Satan and his fallen angels and sin have brought any sort of mark. And so the Bible tells us in Job that, that Satan goes to heaven and he talks to God. And so anywhere that Satan's sin and his fallen angels have been is going to be completely remade. So what is heaven actually like? What does the scriptures and near-death experience people tell us? So I want to use some stories this morning that highlight things that are mentioned in Revelation 21 and a couple of other scriptures as well. But we often hear and we read the scriptures so much, it just rolls off the tongue, but we don't think about what it would actually look like anymore. And so the near-death experiences help to break, make a lens that gets us to actually, in our imagination, begin to see what the scriptures actually recorded. Revelation 21, picking up in verse 10. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain. Did you hear that? There are mountains. We're not talking about earth. We're talking about heaven. There are mountains. 
And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and it sparkled like a precious stone or that lovely diamond that a lot of you females have on your hands. It sparkled like that, like jasper, as clear as onyx. It's clear as crystal, sorry. And the city wall was broad and high, with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. And there were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. And the wall of the city, so the city has a, has a literal wall around it, according to the scripture, had 12 foundation stones. And on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And when he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, the length and width and the height also was 1,400 miles in length. Christchurch is a little bit smaller than 1,400 miles square. And then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to human standards used by the angel. And the wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. And the wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Thank you. (laughs) The twelve gates were made of pearls. Each gate hit from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of a sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb himself is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night, so there is no end of the day. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, Captain Dale Black was um, an experienced commercial airline pilot. He'd flown all over the world. But one day, he had a near-death experience when he crashed in a little twin-engined Piper Navajo plane in Los Angeles. And he took off, and he said, somehow we got airborne, but at a slow speed. And we were unable to clear the trees that were coming up in front of us. And so we veered um, sharply to the right, and crashed into a 75-foot-high aviation marker tower. It sounds like it was trees or tower. The plane disintegrated, my co-pilot was killed, and I found myself hovering over my broken body, and then I was speeding. I think I might have a picture here. I was speeding through this Um, pathway. And it was a path in the darkness delineated by lights. And outside of this was total blackness. And he thought to himself, it's like deep space. Is this deep space? And then he realized that he was not alone and escorting him were two angels. And he goes on and he says, I was fast approaching a magnificent city. It was golden. 
Now think back to what we read. In Revelation 21, about the gold. It was golden and gleaming among a myriad of resplendent colors. And lights, I could see, the light I could see was the purest I'd ever, not, ever seen. Music was the most majestic and enchanting and glorious. And as I approached the city and slowed down like a plane on landing, here's this pilot, can't help but go into pilot mode, eh? And I knew suddenly this place was entirely, utterly holy. And I was overwhelmed with its beauty. It was breathtaking. And I never wanted to leave. I knew somehow that I was made for this place. And this place was made for me. And the entire city was bathed in light. An opaque whiteness in which the light was intense and yet diffused. And in that dazzling light, every color imaginable seemed to exist. And what's the word, he says? The light played. The light played. The colors seemed to be alive and seemed to uh, dance in the air. He said the closer he got to the city, the more distinct the illumination became. And he said it emanated from a point that seemed to be about 40 or 50 miles inside the city walls. And that point where the light was um, emanating from was brighter than the sun. And yet he said, yet I could actually with my eyes, I could look towards it and into it. And the light didn't so much shine on things as go through them, through the grass, through the trees, through the wall, and through the ocean-sized group of people that I could see gathered inside the wall. And he goes on and he describes a whole lot of other things. Um, and then he talks about the city wall. And he says, the light permeated the wall and you could see all the colors of the rainbow actually in the wall. And strangely, when I moved, the colors in the wall moved. It's this dancing thing of light. So slightly, as if sensing my movement and adjusting. Now, what's all that about? And I want to show you a clip in just a moment. Now, the Bible says in verse 10, it says that the city sparkles, which is exactly what's being described by, by um, Dale. It sparkles like a precious jewel. And it describes the wall as being inlaid with 12 different types of precious stones. And clearly they must, be, they must be gigantic in size. Now my question to you is, what do precious stones do when you put them under bright light? It's not a trick question. They sparkle, don't they? Hold your, hold your ring out, ladies, and have a little examination of it. You, how you look at it, you get the sparkling that comes. Now, near, people who've had near-death experiences, who, and many of whom have never read the Bible, tell us that this is exactly what they see. It's exactly what they would, would expect from the wall, with, we would expect from a wall with gemstones embedded in it. But the wonder of this actually deepens when we realize that in the science of our generation, we've found that under extreme light, beyond the light that we see in the sun, but absolute extreme light, some gems do sparkle and some gems don't sparkle. I want you to listen to what David Pawson has to say as he's interviewed about this. Okay, just when you get it, um, interrupt me with it and, and I'll come back to it. Um, just in case it doesn't come up at all, 
he's talking about the, um, the light being able to be uh, put through filters today to produce laser light. And he's saying that as they've shone laser light onto gems, they've found that some gems sparkle and some gems go black. And every single stone in the wall has been proven to sparkle and go all the colors of the rainbow. What's the most common gem today that people like to have on their bodies? They go black under laser light. No beauty. So make the most of it, David Pawson says, as you'll see in a moment, in this life. But every single gemstone that's spoken of in the wall, being placed into the wall of heaven, goes the colors of the rainbow. And near-death experienced people come and they tell us they see a wall that just has a blaze of color coming out of it. You know, there's no way 2,000 years ago when John was writing that down that he had any idea what gemstones would go into beautiful radiance of color and what gemstones would go to look like coal. Only God knew. God was the scientist. And only in our day, in our generation, has that actually been, been able to be proven, that each of these ones, these stones that are read out, now, the second thing that I want us to realize is that heaven is the super reality. The womb is the beginning for all of us. Anyone have a different start? <laughs> all right, the womb is, is where we all start off for humans. And in the womb, we could never, ever imagine the world that we would soon enter into. Nine months, eight months, seven months, three days, two days, today, being born into. We could never imagine it. You know, we've been living in ambionic, ambiotic fluid, and we're about to enter a world that's not wet, but dry, and, and it has color, and, and it has vast spaces instead of cramped confines, and it has talking and communication, and, and you wear clothes. What on earth are they to a, to a baby in the womb? And, and education, and it has technology. The baby coming out of the womb comes into an absolutely upgraded world. True? Yeah. And we love it. So why should we be surprised when the Bible talks about the next life to come being an absolutely upgraded experience for every single one of us as well? Next level proportions. You know... But as Christians, because this real life is so real, and it seems like our lifetime is so long, we find, at times find it hard to actually imagine what heaven might really be like. And we think, oh, could it really be that much better? You know, you might be thinking, or have thought up to this point about clouds and harps. And obviously, for some of us, Harps means 500 years of music lessons to learn how to play it. And, and my music lessons involved a ruler and getting wrapped over the knuckles, you know, until she finally said to my mum, take him home, you know, take him away, don't send him back. He's not going to get it. Well, it's nothing like that at all. Nothing like, like that. The Bible tells us that earth is the shadow of heaven, not heaven the shadow of earth. 
You know, we see this um, pictured in in Hebrews chapter 8, where it says they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy. It's a shadow, what is there, of the real one that is in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning, be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I've showed you here on the mountain. And the pattern came from heaven because heaven is the real and everything on this earth is like a shadow. Now think about it. Has anyone here got a great shadow? Has anyone got an okay shadow? Come on, you can join in on this. All of our shadows are okay, but... You know, we wouldn't want to be our shadow. Our shadow's two-dimensional, isn't it? It's got no color. It has no personality. Our shadow can't think. Our shadow just has shape. And even then, sometimes it's wonky. And, And your shadow can't have access to your bank account. And it can't kiss your girlfriend or your spouse. And, and it can't drive your car. It can't even go to a movie unless you go there. And then as soon as the lights go out, it can't see the movie. Who wants to be a shadow? See, we have it backwards. Earth is created in heaven's image. So heaven is so much more, so much better. It's stunningly beautiful beyond the best that earth has. So we need to ask the question, do when we read near-death experience stories, do we find people coming back from those experiences telling us that they are more alive and they've been in places that are more beautiful and they've seen things that words in, in, in English or any other language of the earth, can, they just aren't adequate enough to be able to explain? And the answer is a resounding yes. They tell us that they see very familiar things, though, like mountains. In chapter 21 and verse 10, it talks about that. A colorblind British near-death experience person reported this. They said, I saw beauty in all kinds of colors. It was too beautiful for words. A magnificent landscape full of flowers and plants, but it was about a thousand times more beautiful than my favorite holiday spot of summer. This sounds good, doesn't it? Marv Bessman, who I spoke about last time, he was the retired bank manager. He loves golf, so in heaven he noticed lawns. He said, I saw babies and children and grown-ups of all ages playing and talking and laughing on grass that was the greenest green I've ever seen, better than any golf range. And there was a lady called Margaret that I read about who who had a near-death experience when she was five years old. And she said, I walked with my angel hand in hand through a field following a beautiful path with really beautiful flowers that seemed to permeate my whole body. And the flowers were tall, way over our heads. And then in her 60s, so 55 years later, she feels prompted to paint the scene that she saw as a little girl. And then she'd come back to earth. She painted that scene. And her doctor was interested in near-death experiences. So he got a copy of her painting. And he put it in his reception and on the wall there. And then a lady who had a terminal illness and was coming for the first time to him as a, as a, um, a physician uh, came in by the name of Mary Olivia. And she, she stopped in her tracks when she saw the painting, and she just stared at it. And she said to the doctor, I know where that is. And the doctor's skeptical, and he goes, how would you possibly know that? She said, when I was five years old, 
So another five-year-old girl, when she was five years old, she said, I walked on that same path with a being in white. Now, who would that being in white be? Probably Jesus, but it could have been an angel. You see, Jesus, for this lady who's facing imminent death with a, a life terminal illness, has arranged for a lady who also went to that exact same spot to paint the picture so that she would come into that reception room and be reminded. And she said, the being in white said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't God good? Dr. Richard Alby, now he was the one who fell from a second-story balcony headfirst. The balcony had, had been eaten away and, and it, it wasn't solid. He fell, fell headfirst and cracked his skull open. He said he was taken to an exquisite valley. There were forests of symmetrical trees covering the foothills. And the valley floor was gorgeous. Stately grasses, each blade perfect, interspersed with ultra-white, four-petaled flowers on a stem to about two feet tall with a touch of gold in the center of the flower. And he said, I looked behind me where I'd walked on dozens of flowers. And he said, not one flower that I'd walked on was bruised or bent. And then I watched my feet as I put them down as I kept walking the next steps. And he said, the flowers stood upright inside my feet and my legs. And we simply passed through each other. How cool. Now, most near-death experienced people, when they come back, they aren't aware that John in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 writes about fields and mountains and rivers and trees and fruit. And Isaiah adds to that with animals and construction going on in heaven. And yet people have died and returned to tell us that these things are exactly what they saw in the life to come. So different, yet not that different that we won't recognize. Isn't God good? Also, near-deathers uh, tell us that there's no sun because there's no need for a sun. The light comes from the center of a city is usually what they, what they say, where the Father is, although they don't necessarily say that or know that. But in Revelation 21 and verse 23, it says, The city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. And when you go back and think about Colton Burpo, that four-year-old boy who had a near-death experience after his, after his appendix burst, why do you think God took him to heaven as a four-year-old? I think it was because there was no way he could say things and get them true and accurate to the Bible because he'd never read it. And Colton's about 20 now, um, and you can find YouTube clips and, and him speaking and things that's there. But when he was four, Todd, his father, who was a pastor, he was trying really hard to ask questions that didn't give Colton the answer. So he said this to him. He said, Colton, what did you and your, and your grandfather, who Colton had met when he went to heaven, what did you do um, when it got dark in heaven? And the little four-year-old boy replied back. He said, Dad, it never gets dark in heaven. God and Jesus are the light, which totally blew Todd away. 
because he could never have known that at four years of age. So what do near-deathers tell us about um, homes in heaven? Because it's not in the Revelation passage, but it's definitely in what Jesus said to people that he would, he would have for them in heaven. And homes in this life, you think about it, they're really important, having our home. And it's one of the major goals that people have. Some people work their whole life through to have multiple homes, mansions, and batches at beaches before they die. That's their goal. That's a major goal that people have. But for all of us, whether we rent or whether we own our own home, we want somewhere that we can call our place that's home that, that will be our sanctuary. And in John chapter 14 and verse 2, um, Jesus said, My father's house has many rooms. The, the King James and the New King James say mansions. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And Jesus also said, he said, if you follow me, but you, for some reason you have to give up fields or houses or mother or father. And there are people who've had to escape countries for the, for the fact of um, Christ and staying true to Christ. If they stay where they are, they're killed. And, and they've had to give up things to be able to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if you do that, in heaven I will reward you with permanent homes, fields. So what do near-death experience people come and tell us about this? Well, they come and talk about homes in the country, homes in the mountains, quaint little villages, as well as in the city of God. If we go back to Captain Dale Black again, he, flew, he said he flew over this great city that was God's throne room city. And he said between the central part of the city and the city wall were groupings of brightly colored, picture-perfect homes in small, quaint towns. And each home was customized, praise God, and unique from the others, yet it blended harmoniously. And some were three or four stories high, and some were higher, and no two were the same. He said if music could be painted as homes, it would look like these. Beautifully built and perfectly balanced. And then I could go back to a, a much older account from um, Rebecca Spring, uh, Springer in 1898 for her near-death experience. And she said when, when she died, Frank, her deceased brother-in-law, came and stood behind her bedside and he said, Shall we go? And she wrote, as part of the ongoing story, far away, far beyond from where my vision um, should have stopped, I saw, half hidden in the trees, elegant and beautiful houses of strangely attractive architecture that I felt must be the homes of the happy inhabitants of this enchanted place. So God in the Bible offers reward in heaven for things that we lose or have to give up to follow him. And these stories tell us that God's promise to us of a sanctuary and of a place of rest and a place that will, will be ours, so to speak, is not a false hope. And then their deathers tell us that heaven and, and the things that they go through are incredibly large. They tell us that the city of God is absolutely massive. In Revelation, just to remind you again, it says, The angel who talked with me... Um, held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And when he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and its width and its height were each 1,400 miles. 
Now, New Zealand is 900 miles long. So we've got a city here that is about one and a half times the length of Kaitaia to Invercargill. One and a half times as long. And then stretching out in the other way, it's one and a half times the length of New Zealand that way as well. And it's one and a half times the length of New Zealand that way as well. Someone's tried to paint this. Just this cube of the city of God. Of what it's, I mean, none of the pictures that I've put up today are adequate for, for what I was looking for, but they were the closest I could find um, to be able to put up. And remember, this isn't the only city in heaven, because Jesus said that we will rule over, some people will rule over ten cities, some people will rule over, there are many more than just this, but this is what is described as the New Jerusalem, the city where God actually lives. And it's massive. And people who've seen this city in near-death experience say the wall just stretches on. It stretches on beyond what even their extended heavenly vision is actually able to see it all as well. Now, our atmosphere from the earth going up goes around about seven miles. So if, if this city space is uh, uh, 1,400 miles, there's possibility of 200 layers of seven miles looking just like looking up seven miles unable to see but then another layer of city 1400 miles that way 1400 miles that way in this massive square there's the possibility of 200 layers of the city now I don't know whether there are layers in the city or not or whether we just look up 200 miles uh, 1400 miles Either way, it's a big, big, big place. And it sounds crazy. It just sounds like fantasy. It sounds like science fiction. And yet these images that near-death experience people come, who've had these experiences come back and are so real to them, they help us to actually see what the Bible says. You know, babies in the womb would struggle to comprehend if a baby went back in and said, oh, I've just seen... Uh, there's, there's equipment, there's several people out there, they're six foot tall. You know, they just wouldn't believe it if a baby could go back into the womb and tell their twin um, what they'd just seen. And so too it is, we struggle to be able to understand how great and how much better and how much more alive we will be in heaven. But we can know that heaven is going to be better, it's going to be grander, it's going to be bigger than we have ever, ever realized. And really, it makes it really so important that we make sure of our entry. And this chapter finishes with these words. It says, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be able to enter into the experience of this amazing future with God. So before we sing and worship and the band, if you can just come up now, that would be great. I want to ask if there's anyone here today who's not yet given your life to Jesus as your leader, and, in, and repented of your sin so that you can be forgiven, so that you can know that this is your, de your destiny, where you're going. I want to say to you, what stops you from doing that right today? You know, he loves you so much, and he loves me so much, that he was prepared to come down, 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 down to our tiny little earth and live from baby through to in his 30s and die the most horrific, torturous death possible so that he could win you and me. 
you know, just on Thursday night, I had someone say to me, you know, if, if, if this is all true and God's real, then, then why would he ever set it up? Why would he ever create human beings and this planet if, if, if we're all going to turn away from him and it's going to cost him his life to be able to get the chance to win us back? I said to him, it's because, it's because of love. It's because he loves you and me and wants to be able to spend eternity with you and me that he said, even that price is worth it because of the value I put on you as a person. And I want to say that to you today. What stops you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, what stops you from giving your life to Jesus, this God of such amazing love, who has such a place... We're not going to just die and go into nothingness, all over, all gone. So many people have not joined the dots with what millions of people have come back and told us. And the truth of what the Bible has always said, that this is but the entree to the real event. The main course is yet to come. And the access for you into the main course depends on whether you want to acknowledge Jesus Christ and ask him to be your leader and ask him to forgive you because he's done everything to be able to. Can I just say, if you choose not to, um, if you say, no, I don't want that, I just want to do my own thing, he will respect your choice. But if you continue to hold that line, you will seal your fate because heaven is real and hell is real. We cannot have heaven without hell. Jesus said they're both eternal. So can we just bow our heads? And I just want to really ask if there's anyone here today who's never actually given your life to Jesus or you know that you're a long way away and you need to get sorted with him and, and, and just have your conversation with him. I'd love to pray with you, but I won't know unless you just raise your hand wherever you are and just hold it up until I can see it. And I'd love to just pray with you. I won't embarrass you, but I will pray and lead you to be able to invite Jesus into your life. Is there anyone here this morning? Thank you. You may raise your heads. We're just going to finish off our service this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to stand?